Hello, my name is Lisa Hellum, and I'm an executive editor here at Bloomberg Law. This is a very special episode of our weekly legal news podcast on the merits. Today, we're going to be hearing from Ben Wilson, chairman of the law firm Beverage and Diamond. Wilson just announced his retirement in October after 35 years with the firm and 45 years in legal practice. Ben has been affectionately described as the Dean of Black Partners within Big Law, but even that title doesn't fully do justice to his role in the legal landscape broadly, and specifically within the African-American legal community. Wilson, a graduate of Harvard Law School and a native of Jackson, Mississippi, joined Beverage and Diamond in 1986, becoming the firm's first Black partner. He was named chairman in 2017, following nine years as managing partner. Over the course of his career, Wilson has mentored generations of Black lawyers, from junior attorneys to those who lead major firms and Fortune 1000 companies. In 2008, he founded the Diverse Partners Network, and a year later, he founded the African American Managing Partners Network. Their groups form a strong network that connects attorneys of color and promotes their success within the legal profession. Ben was gracious enough to speak with us for nearly an hour this week, and during that time, he reflected on his journey in the legal profession. He talked about what he thinks needs to happen to make the profession more diverse. He also shared his sources of inspiration, from legal titans like Constance Baker Motley to his parents, educators who raised him in the segregated South. We'll be airing the extended version of this interview as part of our Black Lawyer Speak series on our sister podcast, Uncommon Law. But for now, here's a short preview of what Ben told me about how his parents shaped his worldview. I'll tell you a humorous story, uh, uh, Lisa. When I was graduating from the eighth grade, my father had a friend who said, Harrison, you must be very proud of your son. My father turned and looked at him. He said, so far. <laughs> and uh, it was his way of re- reminding me and himself that I was only 13 and there was a long way to go. My parents, obviously very special to me, changed my whole life, impacted my life even today. But but they were not unique in that their dreams were that similar to that of other African-American parents, whether they were in Detroit, or where I was from, Jackson, Mississippi, in all parts, north, south, east, or west. And they knew that we had this ability. The question was, would we have this chance? My parents had come out of the Depression. They'd come out of the Second World War. Uh, In the case of my father, he'd seen the country and seen a little bit of the world in a way that he had not seen it before. And I think they realized, uh, those uh, veterans of the Second World War, that uh, they could do anything that any other man could do. Now, I think they probably knew that any old way, but but when you're 18, 19, 22, a chance to measure yourself against others uh, allowed them, I think, to dream uh, bigger. So they also believed in service, and again, this idea that you had this talent and you had this ability and you had an obligation to share it. So my mother always talked about the parable of the talents and, you know, not wasting 
the, the talents that one has been uh, given. Uh, they had faith. And my parents' faith was no better than anybody else's faith. But uh, what I liked is they had faith in me. They had faith in each other. And uh, and so that made all the difference in the world. Um, I used to say, my mother can see farther than I can see. And they, they had a vision. And uh, fortunately for me, their vision came true. And they did everything within their power to, to get us ready for that change. And I'm grateful. And I'm grateful to that generation of parents. When you described your mother, you talked about her being a dreamer. But I would contend that those of us, those of my generation and, and those who have gone before would contend that you have been a dreamer. You've had a clear vision for uh, what the legal profession might look like if we only try, if we put the work behind it. Um, so I'm interested to know what has sustained your hope, you know, for change um, in the profession over all of these years? Well, what has sustained me is the fact that others encountered far greater obstacles and they chose to go forward anyway. They had an even if mentality. You know, this old, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not worship a false god. And they said their father would come rescue them. But they said, even if he didn't, they would still not alter their faith. And so, um, so I've mentioned to you people like Wiley Branton and what he did uh, right there in Little Rock and what he did all over Arkansas, AP Turo in New Orleans, and that famous uh, Norman Rockwell painting of the little black girl in the pristine white dress on her way to school, books and rulers in hand. A racial epithet scrawled against the wall, an errant tomato on the ground, escorted to school by four headless U.S. Marshals. Red Gray, 24 years old, representing Martin Luther King Jr., 24. Uh, Donald Hollowell escorting uh, Charlene Hunter Galt and Hamilton Holmes. And there you see a young Vernon Jordan. Mr. Luby, who was in Nashville, see Alexander Luby, who represented John Lewis the other Fisk University students who were uh, sitting in and who were freedom riders. And uh, so to me, their examples, lawyers, uh, their strength and their courage. And I often speak of uh, Constance Baker Motley, the first woman I ever met with three names. And when she represented James Meredith, at, who was integrating the University of Mississippi and Meredith's then wife was my student teacher. And I thought she must be a physical giant because she would do what men would not do. And she was an intellectual giant. She wasn't a physical giant, but she was an intellectual giant. And I realized a size did not equal courage or intelligence. And so, so to me, those were... Um, amazing examples. And then I think of the young people, those college students, those uh, uh, young adults like James Cheney and Andrew Goodman and, and Nikki Schwerner, and how they didn't have to, well, James Cheney was from Meridian, uh, but the others did not have to come from New York. And not only did they risk their lives, they gave their lives. Uh, I was watching a story recently on Vernon Damer, 
and Mr. Damer was trying to get people the right to vote. And uh, and they burned his store. They burned his house down. But uh, he refused to acquiesce. And he stood in the face of these terrorists. And he was able to get his wife and his children out free. So so the, the examples are, are really legion. And uh, and quite frankly, when I think of hundreds of unknown people whose names are lost to history, uh, I would be uh, a coward if I couldn't lift my voice uh, in, a, in this comparatively safe era uh, when they did so much, when their lives were at risk. So, so that's that's really where that comes from, you know, and. Um, uh, that's where that comes from. So after retirement, you said that you're planning to continue your work. Um, obviously, in addition to being a chairman, you have been a mentor, you have been a diversity advocate and change maker, um, starting the Diverse Partners Network and maintaining that, and also the African-American Managing Partners Network. Um, tell us about some of the work that remains to be done with both of those groups. And we have a third group, our African-American General Counsel Network. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, uh, and so so let's talk about each one. One, we called it the Diverse Partners Network, but we're going to change our name to Diverse Lawyers Network because not everyone practices in law firms. And law firms are important, but they're not the only important aspect of the practice of law. In terms of work that we have yet to do, uh, there are more stories to be told. I've actually had meetings. I had a meeting with a Fortune 10 GC, and he said, Ben, I know Ted Wells. Who else do I need to know? And uh, and I could have given him three names, but my mother always said, do a thorough job. So I went home and I prepared a list of over 300 names of African-American attorneys and over 30 practice areas. I think we're over 500 now because that company used antitrust lawyers and securities lawyers and IP lawyers and uh, white collar criminal defense lawyers and there are diverse lawyers. There are African-American lawyers who practice in all of those areas. And I wanted people to be able to find them when they were looking and we're doing that, but we can do more. The, the other great challenge, I think, at least in the private sector, is to make certain that uh, following the National Football League's example, uh, my friend Paul Tagliabue with another friend, Tom Williamson, developed the Rooney Rule. And uh, and with this Mansfield Rule, companies and law firms are making certain that they are looking at diverse slates in their hiring, in their promoting within the company, and uh, setting up their various management teams. We want to do more of that. We want to ensure that when we are going on pitches, that we're presenting diverse teams. But diverse lawyers not only want to go on the pitch, and they not only want to do the work, but they want credit for some of that work. And I believe if you help bake the pie, you ought to get a slice of that pie. And so uh, that's another frontier that we need to we need to address. That was Ben Wilson, chairman of the firm Beverage and Diamond. We'll be airing an extended version of this interview as part of our Black Lawyer Speaks series, 
on our sister podcast, Uncommon Law. Be sure to check it out. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, Lisa Hellum, along with David Schultz. Our editor is Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Feel free to reach us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. Thank you so much for listening. This is Adam Ellington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.